Hey everybody, welcome to Wednesday. It's National Signing Day, part one of three. It's the early signing period, guys. While we're talking about pet peeves, let's just get right to it. This has been a weird recruiting cycle for Ohio State, but this is the daily on the podcast, and we have to talk about a lot of things. But today <laughs> is recruiting day, so I'm in the lead, not Austin. That's Austin Ward and Bill Landis. They're joining me. Um, but, you know, I think people are going to be What very am I even happy. here for? <laughs> Uh, just 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 moral support um guys i think that people really uh, if you take a step back at the end of this early signing period which runs wednesday to friday don't expect any real news for ohio state on thursday or friday but you just never know what happens uh in the world of recruiting right now when you take a step back and look at this class whether it ends up being 20 guys whether it ends up being 22 or 23 you should really just be thrilled at the people that are in the class and understand that ohio state is going to make some adjustments moving forward to the to the operations and the procedures. But today we get to talk to Ryan Day about this class, which is a fun day because we don't ever get to talk about recruits with coaches on the record. But it also means that the media is going to get a chance to talk to Ryan Day about the Georgia uh, matchup coming up in the Peach Bowl because that's what happens when we all get put into the room to talk about multiple topics at one time. You guys <laughs> cover the team. I cover recruiting. Are you going to ask questions today about recruiting or about the team? Bill? uh probably recruiting i don't know so there's a new thing like we only get to ask like one question and a follow-up if it's related to that question um <clears throat> i might pull a tim may and test the limits of that <laughs> and it's a good idea ask, ask about both uh because i have questions about both but i i uh you know i'm not a day-to-day recruiting guy but i i like recruiting i have questions about recruiting so i'll probably uh shade to that side what what well let's hear it what's the first question well before i you said something that piqued my interest, so I have a question for Love you. To hear before that. I, uh, adjusting the procedures moving forward for Ohio State. What do you mean by that? I mean you can't be naive <laughs> to what's you, you can't be naive to what's happening. It's we've we've all covered Ohio State for a while. Uh, I grew up obviously inundated with all things Ohio State. You guys didn't. Um, Ohio State has never been mediocre, and they are not going to allow mediocre performance mediocrity the, they're not going to allow mediocre performance or mediocrity uh <laughs> down the road and so this class which i think this is the the question that ohio state um boosters administrators and everyone's going to have to ask themselves before they really deep dive into what has to change is it bad enough what's bad what's too hmm. bad for ohio state to put up with um this cycle has been for me, the most difficult recruiting cycle I've ever covered without question. So I can assume that that's 15 or 20 times worse for coaches who are dealing with this in a much more personal way than I am. So uh, I really think that it is an eye-opening last few months for Ohio State as far as what's actually happening on the recruiting trail, wanting to do things the right way versus understanding that if there is no enforcement, if there is no rule that is being followed anywhere, then the right way or the wrong way are kind of the same thing. That makes sense. But I, nobody wants to do that. I like I like the part. So certainly I am aware of the depth of frustration that Berm has in covering this recruiting cycle. I am aware of what the frustrations are for the Ohio State coaching staff when they are in head-to-head battles for uh, elite five stars, high end four stars, and the decision making may not come down to where they actually want to play college football. I understand all of those uh, maddening situations. 
I also come at this from the perspective, like I don't generally like to get involved until the national signing period begins and guys sign on the dotted line. That's the way I've always done it. Berm is the best at recruiting. There's no real benefit to me covering that on a day-to-day basis. So when I come in and I say, well, here we are, and Ohio State is ranked currently by rivals as the number three class in the country. Will that change on Wednesday as the day progresses? Probably. They may finish fourth. They may finish fifth. Maybe they'll stay at third. I don't know. So when we ask the question, how bad does it have to get? That's a ludicrous question for a top (laughs) five recruiting class. It is, but it's also not because everyone understands what could have been. Uh, And I think the biggest issue is not if you finish third or seventh. The question is, why did you not get the guys that you would have that you thought you were going to get? And that's that ultimately is the question for the administration. And the reality is you're not going to really understand the the answer to how bad does it have to get until you have another season where things don't go the way you want it uh, on the field, because ultimately the administration at Ohio State can look at it and say, hey, we're in the playoff. And, and this is this is the crux of the entire situation. Somebody on the Ohio State.rivals.com message board the other day posted. It's such a weird feeling because Ohio State's in the playoff for the third time in four years under Ryan Day. Uh, yeah, they've lost two games in a row to Michigan. That's really, really bad. And there's no sugarcoating that. But if they find a way to win these next two games, a lot of this stuff just kind of fades away and goes into the oblivion. If they lose to Georgia, it feels like the the wheels are completely falling off. And I, I think what sucks for Ohio State, and now that we're just going to completely just go tangential on everything here, is that <laughs> this is a game where Ohio State should conceivably be walking into the Peach Bowl with no pressure on its back at all. But yet it feels like the entire weight of the fan base and the program is teetering on the brink of some disaster when I don't think that that's really true if you don't win the game. But like, that's how it feels. And this should be a game where they, as the team that backed into the playoff, should have no pressure. But yet it seems like all of the pressure is on them. Yeah. It it uh, it is weird because I <clears throat> I think we talked about it when they got in like oh the it's probably pretty freeing that they don't have that kind of weight on them going into this playoff and it's like well maybe they do I, I I don't know I don't know how much of that's real I think it's more I don't know so much if it's win or lose the playoff game it's like how do you show up for it because I think there's a sentiment um, that they've not shown up for the Michigan game the last two years for you know for various reasons probably different reasons both times but but the result was the same they got their butts kicked by Michigan and it looked like they kind of wilted at the end of those games. And I think people want to see a team that doesn't do that. Even if it loses to Georgia, can't do that. You can't have a, you can't have a program whose like culture is like fight with an exclamation point that doesn't do it in the biggest games of the season. I think that right. that's, that's the main issue. So um, maybe, maybe I'm being naive and, and any kind of loss will, will make people feel like the world is, is ending. But I think it's more about how that game progresses perhaps than it is any, any one result. I, don't I think disagree. the same thing, I think the same thing applies to a program mantra of tough love and tough conversations and honest conversations. And I don't feel like that Ohio state has done that this year. Um, and the, like the PR management of this program is part of the reason why Berm, I think, you're, you're suggesting that there's so much weight on their shoulders or that they are feeling like there is and there's so much more pressure. A lot of it, I think, is self-inflicted. And I wrote about this last week after um, we were in there for the Peach Bowl Media Day on campus. Like, just This is just one example of that. Like Ryan Day's injury policy and trying to what, – what he thought was 
the real reason is that you're trying to get a schematic advantage over your opponent. But it's also come with, at the expense of the mental well-being, in my opinion, and certainly based on what players were saying about it last week, when Travion Henderson has to take to social media to defend himself for having a major foot issue that requires surgery, when C.J. Stroud feels the need to defend Jackson Smith and Jigba because pro-talent evaluators think that he's healthy enough to have played in the Peach Bowl and opted out. Like This is just one example of a PR strategy that it's not coming from Jerry Emick. He's not the one that's going to make those decisions. I think that there have been you know, adjustments made in a negative direction that are harming the, pro- the program and putting more pressure on Ryan Day's shoulders than needs to be. And if they were more open and honest about not just injuries, but what they're dealing with on the recruiting trail, then maybe I wouldn't be able to sit here and say, hey, it's still fine. There's nothing for them to worry about in the long term. I know that there is, but if you're not willing to say what those things are and talk about it directly, then why would the NCAA or the federal government or anybody else step in to help you? They won't. Yeah, He's it, one of there, the most influential people in the sport, and he's not acting like it. Yeah, there have been a lot of own goals, and I think a lot of times those own goals get confused on the scoreboard uh, w- by people who are not able to actually watch the game. And they think, oh, well, you're, you're getting beat seven to nothing, but five of those you put in, you know, three of those you put in yourself, but there's still four other goals that you've got a lot of things going against you that you're trying to figure out how to navigate. And I completely agree. Ryan Day um, in this in the spring of 2020 and in the summer of 2020 really seemed to step into the spotlight and own the moment on the national scene and when Ohio State and the Big Ten was fighting with the the COVID restrictions. And it does seem that in this battle, there are a handful of coaches around the country who are all fighting the same fight. And and what's ironic, I guess, is in some ways it's the programs that people think Ohio State should have the biggest hatred towards. Guys like Dabo Swinney, guys like Jim Harbaugh, guys like Marcus Freeman, et cetera. They're all fighting the same fight. And I think if, if when you're talking about just the recruiting madness that's happening right now if that group of guys stood up together and said hey something has to change because this is not the way this was intended maybe it would be easier to um to feel like you're doing that without whining or or complaining about a system if it's if it's a you know front of people that's actually together in in their voice i don't know maybe uh, that's that's all irrelevant i guess but until someone does it we see jeff trailer the coach at uh, ut san antonio on on monday night tweeted you know hey ncaa when is someone going to do something about tampering like report it that's that's what you have to do report it and make it a public uh, ordeal because if just going to twitter and saying something is not going to help and that's the same for ryan day the same for everyone else like if you have this feeling like we're we're trying to live by the spirit of the law and no one else is then what what value is there and doing nothing about it. You asked Berm um, to maybe circle back a second. How how bad does it have to get for Ohio State to change its tactics? It also made a really good point. You know, like it's a top five class. How bad can it actually be? Uh, I went through before we did this and wrote down a couple of names, not a couple, quite a few names of guys that at one point or another seemed like they were top of the board players for Ohio State. Um, maybe I'm a little off on that. I don't follow it day to day like you do, but I came up with 20 names of guys who they're probably not going to get, who at one time they looked like they were going to get or really wanted. How does that number land for you? Is that too big of a number? Is that bad enough? 20, 20 guys that they seem to have a reasonable chance of getting that they really wanted that they're probably not going to get. If you think about the way that Ohio state has recruited in the last five years, they are a sniper approach. Okay. They're not offering 400 kids. They're not, they are very selective. They offer 
you know, 55, 65 kids in a cycle really offer by, I mean, I don't, you know, sometimes you mm -hmm. see 2024 offers made in 2020 that aren't, aren't really relevant, but you're talking about a team that generally tries to host 85 to 90% of their offers on official visits. So they're, they're, they're being extremely selective. Ryan day prior to this cycle was known as an elite closer in the recruiting world. I mean, if you if you go back to his time on the recruiting trail under Urban Meyer uh, into the year that he took over for Ohio State, the Paris Johnsons, the Zach Harrisons, the Garrett Wilsons, these guys are all went to Ohio State because Ryan Day was there, not because anyone else. Um, and if you look at that compared to this cycle, yeah, there, there's a lot of of like, wow, that is a big deal. Some of that you can attribute to the fact that, sure, there are three new defensive coaches and an entirely new defense that they had to put on display. Some of that is the fact that Jim Knowles, who is your defensive coordinator, your head coach of your defense, is not a, a, an active recruiter as far as getting out there and handpicking guys at every position. He's going to go after and, and grow relationships with one or two guys. Some of that is the fact that Larry Johnson is so nitpicky, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, about his guys that he wants on the defensive line that he doesn't look beyond those first three or four that he that he wants because, A, he always gets them. Uh, or has traditionally always gotten them and B he, he doesn't really like to get out on the road and do recruiting. So it's easier to, to find a, a couple guys that you just zero in on. But if you look at outside of Brian Hartline in this cycle, this is, this is the real thing. Brian Hartline closed on all four of his guys and did it early and held on to the end, despite all of the other stuff, all of the, the, the moving parts, no one else did. And that is a concern. Uh, that is a real, real issue because Brian Hartline is obviously an elite recruiter. He's a young guy. He connects with kids in, in a great level, but he also has the development track that he's shown with all of these players in the last five years to withstand everything else that's going on. The rest of the staff, if they're not like owning that relationship, they are simply not going to outlast Georgia and Alabama for these players, period. You have to, you have to be more like in a world where relationships and comfort, which is, has always been the standard in re recruiting, when that no longer is the paramount part, if you're not way over the top and so much better in that area to withstand everything else, you're just not going to win at the end of the day. And that's where we've seen Ohio State lose on a lot of those names that you have written down. I don't know who they are, but I can, I can certainly <laughs> predict quite a few of them. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Yeah, yeah. To me, like from the outside, this is no different than what has been happening for years. And nobody wants to say that, but Ohio State wasn't finishing first ahead of Alabama and Georgia beforehand because a lot of these things that they're now doing legally, they were already doing and the system was already in place. And I know I shouldn't say that because it doesn't apply to every single recruit and every single battle and every single uh, example over the last 10 years, but it it's foolish to pretend like that wasn't always the situation and that Ohio State, because it was unwilling to flirt with rule breaking, was going to lose a lot of five stars where other parts of the country are more willing, have always been more willing to open up their wallets. That's still the case right now in name, image, and likeness because it was already the case before. Like I don't think that I'm saying some things that aren't true here. No, uh, there, so, there's definitely so to say truth that, like, to that. So like to say that, well, this has become some sort of new problem. Like it's already a problem that everyone around the country was dealing with. 
And and that's why I think it's hard to say, like, it, how bad does it have to get? Does it? It just doesn't. That doesn't ring. What's new about it? What's new about it is the fact that it's no longer three schools you're doing that you're competing against in that okay, space. Yeah. It's now. But they still didn't. They didn't still didn't surpass Ohio State. It's right? now ten like, to twelve. Well, I mean, if it depends on who you look. The University of Miami will have a, a higher rated class than Ohio State. Uh, Texas will have a higher rated class than Ohio State. Um, you know, you could, you wouldn't be surprised to see LSU make a push on signing day. Um, these are programs. Auburn is going to be a top 10 class and they just hired a coach two weeks ago after, you know, there are, it's not about, and this is really the thing. It's not about the the changes that have happened between Ohio state and Alabama and Georgia, because those teams are always going to compete for the same players. The difference is that in years past, you couldn't take all of them if you're Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama. So you had to sort of divide them. Now you have 15 other schools that are playing this. I mean, Louisville, for example, it was a prime example of that before they decided to make a coaching change with Ruben Owens. Um, there's no reason in the world that kid should have been or would have been committed to Louisville for, for months at a time. It, and it changes the entire game. But Oregon, UCLA, USC, like there's a lot of stuff happening that Ohio State didn't have to worry about before because they knew you're going to lose some battles with Alabama, Georgia. You're going to win some as well. But now it's the the periphery that's closing in on them. And that's where I start to wonder because you're going to see. And this is a point I made on talking stuff with Andrew uh, a couple weeks ago. What I find most fascinating about this is that Ohio State's recruiting class, despite the fact, again, and we, we will talk about how good this class is in its entirety, <laughs> I promise, rather than just breaking this all down. But the Auburns of the world, the Miamis of the world, the t- these teams are are circling Ohio State recruits and saying, we're going to go get those guys because we know what it takes to get them. And they're not doing that with Alabama recruits. They're not doing that with Georgia recruits because they know the the argument that they're going to try to make is not in place at those schools, if that adds up. So it's simply they're not targeting the recruits of <laughs> schools like Alabama, Georgia. They're targeting Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Clemson commits because they so, know that it's different. So help me help me put it in a different perspective then, Berm. Like what number, what class ranking do you think Ohio State will have at the end of the day? Uh seven or eight, probably. If I had to guess. Okay, we'll see. That's different than me sitting here going into signing day and saying, well, they're third <coughs> or fourth. Um, well, I mean, it really comes down to, to one decision. It's Mateo Uyangalale. What he decides will ultimately probably keep them from sliding from four to seven, uh, if I had to guess. But the the reality is this class is one of the smallest classes in the country, and that's another issue. Ohio State has 20 guys committed heading into the signing day, where Alabama has 25, and they're looking to add five or six more guys, and they're still attacking the transfer portal. Ohio State is just not going to do those things, and they're not going to operate that way. And so at some point, there, there's going to have to be an adjustment, and that's what I'm saying going back to the first statement. At some point, there's going to have to be an adjustment. You can't keep competing with 20-man classes against 30-man classes and expect to win. That's just not feasible. And until the NCAA does something about anything, this is going to be a, a continuing issue for not just Ohio State, but the Big Ten and, and the programs in the Midwest in general because they are still standing on holding the line that doesn't exist. Anyway. What's your first question for Ryan Day on, on Wednesday, Austin? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just dive right in. What, what do you got? Huh. Oh, boy. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I like to make sure that you go first on a day like this, and then I will you know, clean up anything that's on the back end. I, I tend to 
go into National Signing Day, and maybe it makes me uh, a simpleton, but I believe strongly that quarterbacks are what power everything in a program. I know that's not uh, a hot take, but I generally like to evaluate what a class is doing based on what they did at quarterback, and Ryan Day's been better at that than most people. So I don't know a heck of a lot about uh, uh, Lincoln Keenholz. Is that right? Do I have that yep. pronouncing yep. it correct? Like he emerged pretty late in the process. I had talked to Brock Glenn several years ago or several months ago when he committed. Feels like several years. Uh, <laughs> it does feel like several years ago. That's why uh, a Freudian slip there. But so I don't know a ton about him. I don't know. I'd like to know how you stumble upon a, a rising talent from South Dakota. Uh, I know that you know Washington is not the most off-beaten program out there. So if they had identified that, that tells you a little bit how he'd be on the radar. But what what made him a candidate for this? Um, you know, he obviously Ryan Day can't address the Dylan Rayola situation. That's another another signing class and someone who's probably not going to be of great consequence for Ohio State moving forward. Although he could be, never know what's going to happen there. Um, but you know, what Ohio State views as the pecking order now moving forward, uh, certainly they're not. Ryan Day's not going to tip anything for a spring battle that we expect between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, and what that means. Uh, probably not going to reveal if he thinks that they need to add a backup down the road in the transfer portal uh, to get to the four scholarship quarterbacks that he likes to have in that room. But that's because I'm, because I'm approaching it from the team side. And I think that that's the most important part of the program. That will be most likely what I'm most curious about. Yeah. I'm curious about the quarterback situation. Obviously Ryan day has been very pointed in the past that he's looking for one like elite quality in his quarterbacks. And and I, I want to know what he thinks that elite quality is in Lincoln Keenholz. Is it something that's tangible or is it something, you know, like his competitive nature or his <clears throat> it, it factor that his coach uh, told me about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the interesting thing is that I, I'm curious if what we've seen in the last two years in the recruitment of Devin Brown and now Lincoln Keenholz is if there's a shift in what Ryan Day wants from the quarterback position in general, if he's thinking about the fact that he needs to have a guy that's more of a playmaker uh, at that spot because Brown and Keenholz are very similar in their style and build and the way that they play the game, So, um, which those two are very uh, opposite of Kyle McCord, who in the class of 2021, Day picked McCord over J.J. McCarthy, who is also similar to Brown and Keenholz. So I'm curious if, if it's just a shift, if it's a situation where you just get the best guy you can, or if, if there's something else to that. Uh, Bill, what else would you be wondering about? Uh, to that point, I want to know if Ryan Day evaluates whether or not prospective quarterbacks have alligator blood. Uh, which is the way that uh, Devin Brown presented himself on, on Twitter on Tuesday, which I greatly appreciated. Um, <laughs> I have, that movie I have, apropos out, of nothing, movie. people are going to love Devin Brown when they get to actually know him. Yeah, I already that, do. Yeah, that, that movie <laughs> came out before he was even born. <laughs> it definitely did. <laughs> but here's the thing about Devin Brown is that he gets the plot. You see, when he committed to Ohio State, he told people he was betting on himself. His commitment graphic that he asked for from Ohio State was like dice and cards. It was like rolling the dice. And they, so he's still like he's staying on 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 the plot, which I love. I like that. He's just trying to get a sports book NIL deal once it becomes legal. Great, in, great in Ohio. idea. Smart. Yeah. So are um, we. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, I have two two questions. One is like, what's going on with the running back now that they don't have Mark Fletcher? Um, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Burma does not seem like they're going to sign a running back on Wednesday unless something changes drastically. If they do sign, no, one that seems correct. In this, 
in the second window. Um, did they feel like they need to look at the portal there? Um, it's still like a fairly deep room when I mean, you think about it. With if we assume that Mayan Williams is going to come back down, Hayden Evan Pryor, um, the, like Trevion Henderson, forgot the guy who was the five star in that group, for and a especially second. if Chip Trainum <laughs> stays at at running back. Yeah, so I don't. Maybe it's not as urgent as I'm thinking it is, but there was a time where it was like, oh, they're going to take two running backs in this cycle, and now it's like they have none. So then, so what do you do now? Um, and then the other thing is offensive line. Um, as I was going through that list I mentioned earlier, I was just sort of like looking at the tackles they went after, and tackle to me felt like such a an important need for them in this cycle. But then when you sort of look at it, they they didn't really go all that hard after that many players. It was like three or four tackles. It seemed like they were really going after. So. Maybe that wasn't as urgent of a, of a need as I thought it was, but it still feels like it. And I know they're they're in the portal looking for somebody too, but um, I guess maybe how Ryan Day assesses that position in particular, because you're going to lose Paris and Dewan. I guess there's natural replacement in, in Josh Fryer, but but he kind of seems like the only one at this point. And, and I don't know how they feel about some of the depth there that they've recruited over the last couple of years. If Even if they do get someone like AJ Cornelius, do they feel like, they need to do more work there to address that position because it still feels light to me. I think the tackle recruiting is a microcosm of the Ohio State recruiting philosophy in general, which is they are never going to take a player that they don't think can contribute at Ohio State, period. Even though you look on the roster and you look at some of the guys have taken the last few years and you're like, hey, is this guy ever going to contribute? They felt like they would uh, at some level. They're not going to reach for a guy in a class that, and you mentioned this on Monday when we talked a little bit of the signing day preview. This is a fairly weak class as far as offensive tackles around the country. So they weren't going to overextend themselves uh, at that spot. And they certainly weren't going to make an offer to someone that they felt wasn't going to be a difference maker early in his career because that's what they need. AJ, uh, AJ Cornelius, the tra- transfer from Rhode Island, will announce his decision at six o'clock on Wednesday night. That's sort of the piece where I guess. If we're talking about how bad does it have to get, right? The recruitment of AJ Cornelius to me feels like one of those barometers because a guy from White Plains, New York, who played his first two years of college football at Rhode Island has an opportunity to walk into Ohio State and very likely be a two-year starter for the Buckeyes at left tackle. And if he chooses to go to Oregon or Tennessee instead of Ohio State, that's one of those, okay, something is wrong here. We're doing this the wrong way. And it's not because you're doing it the wrong way. It's because you're doing it the right way, and that is losing. And how long do you let that keep going? That's the question. But we're not going to get that answer, I want to say. And also, what else do you have? Yeah, uh, what yeah I was going to say, I was going to talk about the transfer portal because it's a strange day with the way that Ohio State has set up the media availability for the month. Not to go back to that again, the dead horse, but um, you're, you're trying to pack in information before the team all uh, you know, flies across the country for Christmas to go see their families and then report to Atlanta. So it's the last opportunity to get Peach Bowl uh, insight from Ryan Day. Uh, you obviously have a, there's going to be a ton of questions about the recruiting class and National Signing Day and NIL and all these other conversations. And then you have that announcement looming at 6 p.m. tonight for Ohio State. Really key. Um, you know, nobody has ever promised a starting job when they enter the transfer portal and Ohio State tries to pluck them out of it. But generally, uh, these players have a pretty good idea. There's a clear need on Ohio State's roster, and they were targeted for a reason because Ohio State is very selective. They use that sniper approach even more uh, exclusively when it comes to the transfer portal. So we know that they've evaluated hundreds of players because they beefed up that entire 
side of the personnel department under Mark Pantone. They have people that are dedicated solely to looking at guys who are in the portal or who they think may be in the portal. Uh, so the fact that A.J. Cornelius uh, emerged from this group as the one that we believe that Ohio State had the, on the top of, uh, let's say, four or five offensive linemen uh, that they were going to go after, um, this is where their resources were put. He took his last visit uh, to Ohio State over the weekend. Um, you know, you see the four, school, four schools that are out there, uh, and you reference this. Like, I mean, Tennessee already has one. Uh, you know, another guy that was on the board committed to Florida State. Uh, so Oregon – um, you know that they are active in the NIL space as well. So I certainly understand your point there about how bad that could be. I mean, there still would be an opportunity in May to correct that. So is it a desperate situation if they don't win this battle? No. Is it yet another thing that will make it feel like there's more pressure building on the shoulders uh, of the program? Yeah, probably so. Uh, and that will be annoying and the fact that they probably won't be able to address that again until after spring ball would probably not be ideal for them. But again, it's like, that's, I try to, I, I'm trying not to overreact to any of that because I don't think that any one of these incidents are as bad as what the collective good is. that's still going on for the program. I'm trying to trying to remember that because it's easy to forget at times when you just see these things happen, you know, even last week with, decommitments and and Rayola like in the middle of the week they'd flipped a a quarterback for this year's class and got the number one receiver in next year's like still pretty good yeah the sum is certainly greater than the parts when it comes to the um is it the concerns and that's 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 definitely fair um let's talk for a few minutes about the class and what we expect uh to to really dive into most signing days we've had an opportunity to talk to other coaches at least one or two of them about their cycle i don't know if we're going to get that chance or not i see that jerry just sent out the advisory but i didn't read it um i don't know if we're getting anyone else but um certainly quarterback we're, we we're gonna, sure aren't okay so we're not going to talk to brian hartline about his uh class which is incredible as i said brandon ennis carnell tate noah rogers three five-star receivers on different uh recruiting services three guys that are among the four best receivers in the country, period. Uh, Bryson Rogers from Florida, who is a top 15 receiver, also a Youngstown kid originally. Great class by Brian Hartline. The Buckeyes appear like they're going to be able to withstand the push from Auburn and, and sign Jelani Thurman, the uh, Georgia legacy at tight end. Um, his father, Odell Thurman, played for the Bengals back in the day after playing at Georgia. Very different tight end than anything else the Buckeyes have on their roster. Six foot six, hyper athletic. And a really great job in short order by Keenan Bailey proving his worth as a recruiter to go in there and shore up that relationship after the news that Kevin Wilson was going to be leaving Ohio State because that was one of those things where you're just like, man, how how do you fix that? Um, Offensive line, four guys we expect to sign. Luke Montgomery, Austin Padilla. I'm sorry, Josh Padilla, Austin Saraveld, Miles Walker. Uh, It's my understanding that Padilla and Saraveld, Saraveld's already been doing workouts and, and stuff like that with Ohio State. Uh, Padilla will do that as soon as his class ends this week. Um, Montgomery will wait until January till he can get in there and, and be officially indoctrinated uh, so he can play in the Army All-American game. Or sorry, just All-American game, not Army. Um, if we're talking surprises on, on Wednesday, I'm going to try to scramble here at the end here. Uh, there's the Mateo Uyunglele, like I said. That's the one. It's Ohio State. It's Oregon. It's USC. Um, it feels very similar to be in, in tone and, and scope to the JT2 and Maloa recruitment, but we'll see if that 
ends the same way. Uh, there has been no hint either way. Ohio State has completely been um, they, they feel like they're in, in the control, but you just don't know what happens. Joshua Mickens from Lawrence Central High School in Indiana. Uh, Bill and I talked about him on Monday. I expect him to sign with Ohio State on Wednesday and make that official uh, edge rusher, Jack type, Leo type, whatever position you want to call it. Um, <laughs> other than that, guys, the question is whether or not Kay and Lee, the cornerback from Georgia, will sign with Ohio State or Auburn. And, and that's really the drama for Ohio State on Wednesday. So one thing I think is a testament to the program for the last four years, despite all this stuff going on, these have been the easiest signing days of my life in the last couple of years. They, <laughs> they, they have had no drama at all. Uh, so you walk into a day like this one, and it actually feels like there's more than normal, but it's still very minimal compared to everyone else around the country. And the question is, is that good or bad? Is it good that you have everything wrapped up, or is it bad that you're not closing on some of the play- waiting on, on a handful of top players to, to decide? Final well, it's question. It's been bad for, for you. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. been bad for you because you spent the last four months stressed out beyond belief talking about the same players over and over. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, like you need some more if you need more drama on signing day so that you're not so stressed out in August. Bring that on. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I'm anti. <laughs> I idea. think you probably I think you probably want to I think you'd rather be positioned with. 20 guys that you feel reasonably confident that you're going to sign without issue and then have like one or two real difference makers that you're waiting on rather than have like seven different balls in the air and wondering which way they're going to land <laughs> and that'll dramatically alter the fate of your recruiting class. So I think this way is probably better. Yeah, there are a lot of questions around college football recruiting, around Ohio State recruiting, a lot of just dark clouds, but folks, just let them part. See the sunshine, see the blue skies. Ohio State is going to sign a top five or top seven class in the country on Wednesday. It's going to have some absolute star power at wide receiver as we've come to grow accustomed to. Big time players at cornerback in uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt and Jermaine Matthews, a uh, 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 potential game changing safety with Malik Hartford. And you never know what happens, I guess. Uh, you still may get lucky and, and Caleb Downs wakes up and decides he wants to be a Buckeye, but I wouldn't count on that. Um, and really, from there, Ohio State's in the playoff. We're trying to get ready for Christmas. What else could go wrong, huh? Let's let's be happy. <laughs> let's celebrate. There's a there's a big old winter storm coming this weekend. <laughs> a big old winter storm coming. You're going to get a white Christmas. Everything's perfect. Think about it. Visualize it. Yes, that's all you have to do, folks. Visualize your success. Goose Fraba. Uh, no, seriously. Um, Anything else that you guys think that you're going to be mentioning or, or wanting to get out of Wednesday uh, as we head into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center at noon for the Ohio State Recruiting Signing Day press conference? If there is, I'll talk about it on Snappy Jays. Snappy Jays. Okay. Well, I guess that's probably where we should wrap this up. Uh, that's Bill Landis. I'm Austin Ward. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Birmingham. That's Austin Ward. Gotcha. See, see, Signing Day is frantic, and everyone's panicked. Except for me. <laughs> cool like the other side of the pillow. But um, I'm Jeremy Birmingham. That's Austin Ward and Bill Landis. This is The Daily on the podcast. We appreciate you watching, listening. We'll see you at noon from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Goodbye.